Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to be talking about He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We will talk about the Scripture that you read that from and some of the applications that we can take from that passage of Scripture. As I sit down to record this podcast, I have been working on the First Peter outline and, and lesson for uh, Sunday's podcast. So it's a little difficult sometimes to transition from studying one thing and then uh, coming into another and then going back to what you were working on. So I hope there's not going to be bleed through, but I do know that some of what we're going to talk about today and, and the podcast that we're going to have on Sunday on First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, there's at least going to be a couple of references that I'm going to use in both subject matters because they are related to some degree about what we're going to talk about. Uh, but I've got a lot on my mind and I'm looking forward to this podcast, looking forward to getting us to think about different things. Also had a cool thing happen right before I came into the garage to record this podcast. Just got a text message out of the blue from somebody I don't know, wishing me a good Monday and uh, sent back and said, you know, did you intend for this message for me? I, sometimes I I, I uh, forget people's phone numbers, so I didn't know if I knew the person or not. No, it's just somebody that didn't even know me. So a uh, uh, woman named Alina didn't even know me, just mistakenly sent the text message. Well, you know what? I like getting nice messages from people, even if it's by accident. So kind of things like that will will set you in a good tone and a good mood and here I am running a little late in my normal schedule, so uh, I was in a little bit of a rush to get in here and get this podcast going. So we're going to jump in. I'm, I'm looking forward to anytime we're talking about the Word of God. There's always awesome things uh, to discuss. As I was thinking about uh, the subject that we're going to talk about today, there are very reason, various reasons why I want to talk about it. Probably the, the biggest reason is how Christians can get complacent, get to a point where, you know, I've obeyed the gospel of the Lord, I'm living my Christian life, and then kind of get into a point where you're just going through the motions, and the relationship with the Lord becomes almost like eternal life is a given, and, well, I, I'm doing what I need to do. I, I'll just be in heaven, and that zeal can get lost, and I've seen it happen to people, and whether or not they completely fall away, they lose the zeal and the seeking process. And I want to talk about some things to get us to think. Uh, when I was thinking about the lesson, I thought, you know, a good starting point is something that David told Solomon. David said in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9 to his son Solomon, Thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Now, it's not that Solomon didn't know who God was here. It's not that Solomon hadn't sought him already. There is indicated in the language of this passage, something that we're going to talk about going forward is that the seeking process isn't just, you know, like at a grocery store, I'm seeking paprika 
Well, it's in the spice aisle. Okay, I found it, put it in the cart, I got it, the search is over. The seeking that we're going to talk about here is more involved, and it's continuous. And it doesn't carry with it the idea that I found God, I got him, I'm good. And people tend to do this. It's like the loveless marriage problem in Ephesus. When you go and you read Revelation 2, 1 through 7, they were doing all these good works, but they left their first love. The loveless marriage, think about that as it relates to human beings. A man and or a woman find each other. I was seeking love. I found love. They, they go through whatever courting process that culture might indicate is appropriate, and then they might be customary to them. They get married, and then sometimes in marriages, you hear people say things like, you know, it's stagnant. That, that the man and or the woman have stopped the romance and things of those types of nature. And sometimes spouses get the, I'm married. I've arrived. It doesn't matter what I look like anymore. You know what? I, I prettied myself up and all these other things to get you. And now I got you. And it's almost like we've signed the papers and you are my captive. I don't have to please you uh, anymore. You know, if you go and read 1 Corinthians 7, 31 and following about how a married man cares of the things of the world, how he might please his wife and the vice versa of that, the very idea of your spouse being like a fish that you've got on the end of a hook and you caught them and they're yours, the search is over is just wrong. Well, what about that when it comes to the Lord, where people have that I've sought mentality. So you take what David said to Solomon, if thou seek him, he'll be found of thee. And then you think about it. Other prophets said that. Azariah in 2 Chronicles 15, 2, went out to meet Asa and said unto him, hear ye me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, now think about that. He is with you. What are you still doing? Seeking. He will be found of you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So there's the process of seeking or forsaking. But the idea of I've arrived at, Judah was told in Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me all your heart. Now at this time, there's apostasy in Judah. So there is a return type of seeking. The disciples who were in the presence of Jesus who were looking forward to the kingdom coming, which now has come, by the way. We're not looking forward to the kingdom coming. Colossians 1.13, you're delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. If you're a Christian, if you're a saint, you're a disciple of the Lord. You've been converted. You're, 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 you're a kingdom citizen. In Luke 12.31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and these things should be added to you. That's a little different context. The disciples were being sent out uh, to preach the gospel, sent out to the world, Don't be concerned about things of the flesh. But the idea of seeking is still part of that. Well, when you fast forward a little bit and to the point that I really, really want us to draw upon is not to get to that I'm I'm, I'm there already mentality. Two Christians, people that were already in Christ, Colossians 3.1 says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
if ye, thee be, if ye thee then be risen with Christ. Later in our lesson, we're going to see that that has to do with people who have been baptized into Christ. If you've been risen with him, that again, we'll tie, when we get into Romans chapter 6, we'll tie that to baptism. Seek those things which are above. It's not you're already there. Yes, you have been added to the body. People that have been baptized into Christ, Acts 2, 38 through 41, glad to receive the word or baptize them, or added to the church, Acts 2, 47. But don't sit there and say, I am already in heaven, or allow that idea to possess your mind, your thoughts. While we may have come to know the Lord, we still have things to look forward to, still things we're seeking. Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're still seekers. We're still searching. And while we look forward, that searching mentality keeps you with a mindset of preparation. And 2 Peter 3, 13 through 14, contextually going back uh, you know, to verse 1 forward, to putting them in mind of things to come, of the judgment day, of the end of the world. Nevertheless, we, this is 2 Peter 3, 13 and 14, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. The language here, right? Look for, seeing that you look for such things, twice that type of statement. Then the be diligent aspect that you may be found of him in peace without spot, blameless. When Christ returns, well, that's all a looking forward and living in preparation for what is to come. If you know, recently in the news, cal people in California are preparing and along the Mexico coast line are preparing for a hurricane. I haven't followed the news closely. So, you know, I'm recording this on Monday. Right now it's just afternoon local time on Monday. Uh, I don't know what's ultimately going to come about of, of the hurricane that's hitting uh, the West Coast. I think it's called Hillary. But there's preparations. So they're, they're looking for something that is coming, and then they're making preparations, preparing to be safe, to be ready. Look, that is the seeking process that a Christian ought to continually have based on Hebrews 13, 14, and 2 Peter 3, 13, and 14, and Colossians 3, 1. So it's not, I'm done looking. I'm done seeking. Now, Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the passage from which our lesson is drawn, says, but without faith, and we're going to break this all down, okay? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Very important passage of scripture that teaches us several different things. We're going to hone in on the seeking process, but first let's just kind of address some things in this passage in order, kind of use it as an outline a little bit. Let's talk about how essential faith is. Faith, not just sometimes people say, you got to believe in Jesus. Well, it that's true, but it's also more than that. For example, in John 8, 23 and 24, he said unto them, unto his audience, 
Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So yes, there's the essential faith in Christ being deity from above. But it's also broader than that. In 2 Thessalonians 2.12, they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So faith isn't just about one particular aspect of truth, but the truth in the whole, which, yes, Jesus is deity. Yes, he is the Son of God. Yes, he came and he bled and he died and he was buried and risen on the third day, ascended into heaven. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And on and on and on we can go. Yes, yes, all of that. But also, I need to be a believer in what God said about marriage. You know, earlier I used the illustration of, of the loveless marriage. Well, there are instructions in God's word that I need to be a believer of. Like husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for, for it. Not just Christ and the church aspect, but how I'm to relate to my spouse aspect. All of it, all that is in the word of God, the truth, because the word of God is truth. John 17 and verse 17 says, sanctify them thy truth, thy word is truth. I can't just isolate and say, well, these two, three, four, five, six things are the things I have to believe. No, you have to believe it all. It's not, not a la carte, right? You're not going to pick and choose. Well, once I believe the word of God, the entirety of the truth, all that has been taught and revealed unto me, I then need to live by that. And that's been the case from Old to New Testament. In the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2 and verse 4 says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. In Romans chapter 1, faith in what? Verse 16 and 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, there are people, maybe you've heard them, I have certainly heard them over the years, that will just isolate, again, they'll, they'll say, oh, the gospel that's just talking about the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And, and they'll say, you know, oh, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1, 4. Yes, that's part of the gospel. But that's not all there is to it. The word of God is called the gospel. In Colossians 1, 5, and 6, think about the terminology. Uh, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel? The word, the truth, the gospel, those are synonyms which is coming to you as it has the old world, bringing forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. There are people that would behave as though you highlight the verses in the Bible that talk about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and that is the most important, and then everything else is second or third or fourth or fifth or, or sixth or, or 295 uh, down the road. No, it's not, that's not the truth. We live by faith in the Word of God, which is the gospel, which isn't just part of the Word. Paul then said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God, is what Paul said. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now, I want you to think about something, okay? As it relates to people that just want to isolate faith in what? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And when they try to isolate just these certain particular things, well, let, let me give you something. Um, we, we had a little discussion here in El Paso uh, in our Bible study yesterday. I'm trying to remember what class it was in. We have here in El Paso, we have a class on 1 John that's 90 minutes long. Then I preached on 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Then people stick around and we study the book of Luke. And sometimes I think we, we had four or, oh, let's see, 90 minutes. I preached for about an hour. I don't remember how long. We had, we had I think, over four hours of Bible discussion uh, yesterday. So I can't, I can't draw. I'm trying to draw. I think it was in our first John class. And this is important. It's relative to what we're talking about. Faith in what? Do I believe in what? Do, do I believe in this, just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? And, and we were talking about, let's say there's a preacher out there, and he declares the whole truth. He exposes false doctrine. He names names. He's an earnest contender uh, for the faith, uh, so forth and so on. But what if he doesn't have brotherly love? You know, in 1 John 4, 20, a man say, I love God and hate his brother. He's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God and whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Now, chapter 5 and verse 1, notice what it says. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. Faith, obedience, and love of the brethren all tied together. And you know what? That's not recorded in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. But without brotherly love, it's impossible to please God. You got to believe in it and do it. Because when we're talking about faith, faith is active. You believe and you do. I'll just cite James chapter 2, 14 through 26 uh, as evidence of that because many of you who are regular listeners to this podcast uh, know that as the body without the spirit is dead, faith without works is dead also, James 2, 26. And you know that a man is justified, how, how, how that a man by works is justified and not by faith only, James 2, 24. And all that that context means. You also know the essentiality of love, that works that are not rooted in love are useless. In a context about spiritual gifts, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and, and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, Notice what he says. Though I have all faith, without faith it's impossible to please him. Notice what he says. So that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So it's very important that when we talk about what we need to do to please God, 
We don't break faith down to just three or four things. We don't break obedience down to three or four or five or six or seven things. It is all-inclusive. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15, right? It's all-inclusive. So when we're talking about true faith, we're talking about obedience. We're talking about in all the Word of God. We're talking about in all that God expects of us. We will see more of that as we talk about the reward and the judge that is that that is to be. So we're reading from Hebrews 11 and verse 6 in the title verse of our podcast that without faith it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, when you read through the chapter, you see statements over and over again like by faith or through faith. And it's 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 it just stands out to you. Like in Hebrews 11 and verse 3, through faith we understand the world were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were made of things which do not appear. Or in chapter 11 and verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he is righteous, God testifying his gifts, that by it he being dead yet speaketh. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was found, was not found because God had translated for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Or in verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is of, which is by faith. Think about it. Noah Builds an ark because God tells him it's going to rain on the earth. The earth's going to get flooded. Well, prior to that, moisture came up from the ground. Rain wasn't a thing. <laughs> so Noah believed God's word. Spent 120 years in preparation of the ark. Did what God said. By what? By faith. Faith is active, folks. Faith gets you to do things. In verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he's called to go out into a place which... He should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, in verse 9, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. In verse 11, through faith, also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful that who had promised. In verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. In verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. In verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and, and, and worshiped, leaning upon the top of his staff. In verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave command concerning his, his bones. In verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a, a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. In verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In verse 27, by faith, he, still talking about Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians is saying to do were drowned. In verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. 
In verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And then as he goes on to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, says in verse 33, who through faith subdues kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and on and on it goes. Faith, folks, without that faith that the chapter defines that moves people, that causes obedience, that is active without that faith and all that God says. All those examples in Hebrews 11 were not about the resurrection. We're not about the death or birth or life of Christ. It was in what God told them was going to happen. By faith, through faith, they did because they believed the Word of God. Now recognize, as we look at Hebrews 11, verse 6, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. I think we all get that point, so I won't hone in on believing in God, believing in Christ. But how about this? And that he is a rewarder. Think about the standpoint of who the judge, who the rewarder is, in the judgment day. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, this context, uh, if you're following the first Peter studies, uh, you've probably studied this context already. Um, in Acts 10, 38 through 42, it's the first Gentile conversion account. In the midst of that, Peter and Cornelius and his household. So Peter says in verse 38 through 42, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. It's Christ. The rewarder, the judge, is Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7-10, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether it be good or bad, before the judgment seat of Christ. That's significant. So let's talk about, after we identify the who there, when. In Matthew 16, 24 through 27, when is Christ going to be the rewarder of them that diligently seek him? Matthew 16, 24 through 27, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Now, here's my question. Do you believe that? How do you know? Don't just, don't just 
yes or no, here's how you really know if you believe that. What are you doing? If you really believe it, are you like everything we read in Hebrews 11, by faith, through faith, moving? Are you doing something about it? Do you know Jesus is coming back? And in that day, he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him? Are you living like it? Not just lip service. So we know Jesus is the rewarder. We know the when, when he comes, comes back. Why is he offering up rewarder or rewards to those that diligently seek him? How about 1 John 2, 24 through 25? Not to overly simplify, because we could just... You, you know this, especially if you're following the First Peter lessons. Any one of these points, we could expand and expand and expand. But let me give you the simplicity of the matter. Jesus is the reward of them that diligently seek him. Why? Because he said he would. First John 2, 24 and 25. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us, even eternal life. He's going to be a rewarder of them that diligently seek him because he said so. The promise is eternal life. That's the what. That's the reward. It's not like a lot of, you know, uh, what was it called? Prosperity preachers. The prosperity gospel. That's a false gospel. It's a false message. It's a false hope. They'll tell you that God's going to reward you now, when they talk about life and more abundantly, they're talking about on earth, not in heaven, okay? Well, that's not the truth. If you have been following the First Peter studies, um, we have recently talked about, or at least read, we didn't hone in on this point, but we talked about the letter to the church in Ephesus, where in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. If you read through what first century Christianity looked like, yes, there were people that had material wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, the church in Laodicea, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. But it was not the rule. It was the exception. Many Christians, like we're seeing in our study in 1 Peter, they were scattered, facing persecution. Jesus did not have material wealth. You know, like he pointed out, Luke 9, 57 through 62, son of man have nowhere to lay his head. The disciples were facing persecution. They were out preaching the gospel, depending upon the financial support of brethren. And at times, Paul was, in Philippians 4, 10 through 18, at times uh, he had much and at times he had little, but it, you know, again, it wasn't the rule. Why? Because the, Jesus is a rewarder when the what, the when is when he returns. The what is not material wealth. Titus 3, 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not the hope that you're going to get a better job, a better car, a bigger house, or anything like that, that those false teachers out there tell you, the Joel Osteens and all those guys that, you know, oh, if you give more, God's going to give back to you. Look, 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 the only person you're giving to is that false teacher, that church that he has established, not Christ church, that church that he has established. And he's promising you, oh, it'll come in time. It'll come in time. It'll come in time. No, it won't. 
unless you go out there and get a job, work hard, and do what you need to do, and get rewarded for the labor of your hands, money is not going to fall out the sky. It's not going to happen. That guy's lying to you. The promise of God, New Testament promise of God. Yeah, they might use Old Testament pro promises because the children of Israel were to inherit a land. Christians do not inherit a land. We don't have a physical Jerusalem. We have the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, 22 through 28. Not the physical, okay? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The carrot, folks, is eternal life. In verse 20 of 1 John 5, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in the Son of Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Not materialism, eternal life. The how. I mentioned earlier that we would tithe, if ye then be risen with Christ, the language in Colossians 3.1, to baptism. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 19 through 6.11, and you will see the connection. But more than that, you know, it's so irritating. It's like people hone in on one thing. There are a lot of people out there that say baptism is the end all to salvation. No, no. And they make it about baptism only. No, 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 no. Without Jesus, baptism is just water. It all works together. God's part, man's part. And when we look at Romans 5, 19 through 6, 11, the text is pretty clear. It says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, as by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not? That so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon, yourselves, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Adam brought sin into the world, Christ bought grace into the world. That doesn't give us a license to sin. Those of us who have been baptized into Christ, we've had our sins washed away, Acts 22 and verse 16. We're not to say, hey, this is my license for sin. No. We have been risen with him. That's how. We have to continue therein. We have to continue to serve. 
We can't turn back to sin. We can't be the servants of sin. You've been freed from sin. Now you had now now you need to leave that, live like that. We read Colossians 3:1. Now let's go pick up verses 2 through 4. So set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye also appear with him in glory. How are we going to be rewarded when Christ returns? Why? Because our affections are on things above, not on earth. Because you're dead. Because your life is in Christ. Your role, Jude one twenty one. there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He did his part. He brought grace into this world. He gave you the path, the way unto salvation. Keep yourself on the course. Now listen, I was thinking the other day, we have vehicles now that if you set cruise control, they'll slow you down before you get too close to a vehicle in front of you. They'll warn you about lanes, people next to you in the lane if you turn on your turn signal. Some vehicles will keep you in the lane. All of that stuff just absolutely scares me. I know as an older guy, you know, I know, I know because when I was younger, I'd look at older people and say, oh, you just don't like technology. I, I don't know if that's part of it or not, but man, I just do not trust my vehicle to drive itself. For whatever reason, call me old, whatever you want to do, I don't trust my vehicle to drive myself. But I have an illustration from this, okay? In life, there are a lot of people that just want to set cruise control kick back and relax. You can't do that spiritually. You have to keep yourself in the love of God. He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Getting the mentality that I'm just going to click the button here. I'm going to show up in a worship assembly and I'm going to do my, you know, necessities and the rest is just going to handle itself is not just lazy. It's neglecting the responsibility that you have in your relationship with Christ. It's a dead marriage. It's a dead marriage. Like, like uh, John wrote to the people in Ephesus, repent, do the first works. Go back and fall in love again with the Lord because you have certainly fallen out of if you're clicking the button on cruise control. How? Is if you're still seeking, you will be rewarded. The diligence behind that. Don't, don't neglect the wording of the promise. Don't, don't ignore it. The, the diligency and the seeking of him. You know, when, when, you, when you just kind of do a little bit of a word study, and we don't want to put too much, you know, context is the king always, but words do have meanings, and we want to understand them in context, first of all, and also the meaning. But Strong, for example, he defines, you know, when, when you look at, look at seeking as to search out, to investigate, to crave. So without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
He that cometh God must believe that he is. He's the rewarder of them that diligently crave him, that search out. The definition goes on, worship, inquire, require, seek after carefully and diligently. The, the expanded definition, to scrutinize, to search for one, to beg, to demand back, to require. When, when you look at other uh, lexicons, fair, again, Strong's number 1567, to seek out, search for, to seek out, investigate, scrutinize, to seek out for oneself, beg, crave, to demand back, to require. It's a verb, something you do. How? What's my part? He's done his part, and he will do the future part in returning and judging. I got to keep seeking. The where is going to be in heaven. Example in Luke 6, 20 through 23. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you should be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they will separate you from their company, shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Where? Where is the reward? It's in heaven. Let's think some more. Let's expand some more on the diligently seeking aspect. Back to a context in Acts 15. Remember this? Uh, certain Jews who believed went down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching circumcision and the law of Moses to Gentiles. Well, Paul and Barnabas come back to Jerusalem to discuss what they found there and end the discussion, Acts 15, 13 through 17. After they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agreed the words of the prophets, as is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Excuse me. And I will build again the ruins thereof and set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith Lord, who doeth all these things. Our Lord intends for seeking to be continual. So when we think about that diligently seeking aspect, think about what it is to crave, to search for. There's language in the Bible. Like in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Think about what it is to be hungry and thirsty. Not to just want a drink. I, I think a lot of the culture in the world that we have today, there now there are people in this world that are hungry and thirsty. But if you're listening to this podcast on the internet or on your smartphone, I'm going to guess you're probably not one of them. It's not likely that if you have a device from which you're listening through the internet that you don't have means for food and water, at least to some degree, to be hungry and thirst. Well, let me ask you this. Are you hungry and thirsty for our Lord, for eternity in heaven with Him? Are you pursuing Him, craving eternity like that, or 
Are you just kind of like, hey, Lord, you know what? Life is good. If you want to come next week, that's fine. Next year, that's good. And if you want to wait till later, as long as it's convenient for me, I mean, where are you? What I see in the world, the evidence I see in the world is that people aren't in a hurry for the Lord to return. And, and what if that's among people that call themselves Christians? Now, it's one thing to say, I hope the Lord doesn't come now because there are people that would be lost. And that's in accordance with the Lord's will. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Certainly, there's that aspect that the Lord delays His coming so that people will have the opportunity to obey and be saved in the end. I get that. But what about what is truly in your inner being? There are people that I know and love, and I hope they have the opportunity to be restored. And to that end, I don't want the Lord to come today. But to the other end, if they're never going to change, Lord, come quickly. I'm tired of this world. I, I, I want to be with the Lord. Oh, man, heaven is... Whew, where else do you want to be? You know, search your heart for that. When we think about hungry and thirsty, the deer is talked about in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, translated heart. It says, as the heart, or the deer, panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee, O God, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And this psalmist, you know, one of the things, well, this is great. Just let me give you a heads up. In our first Peter studies, we're going to get down to 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. And we're going to talk about how the prophets did not fully see or understand what they were prophesying about. This is great. So when the psalmist is desiring God, here we are. In the time of the New Testament, the last days that began in the first century, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, we know eternal life in a way that they saw from afar. They didn't get a, a close look at. And, and still, the desire is to be with God. How much greater should that be for us? But then you have another problem. What about those that think they've already arrived? Like, I am saved. I am already secure. Oh, how arrogant. Think about language we read in, in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receive the prize? So run that ye may obtain. He doesn't say run because you've already obtained. And everyone that striveth for the master is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others, I myself shall be a castaway. Are you running to finish? Or are you jogging because you think you've already got the gold around your, your neck? In Philippians 3, 8 through 14, Paul says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, may, being made conformable unto his death, if, if, notice this, if, by any means, I might 
attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, not meaning that he wasn't living perfect, but living that he, the end hadn't come, the perfection isn't there. He says, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this is the one thing to do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Look at what Paul is saying there. Oh, I'm not there already. I'm trying to get there, right? This Paul, who earlier in the letter to Philippi said in Philippians chapter, um, hmm, chapter 1, verse 21. Sorry, I was flipping here in my Bible. Verse 21 following, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, I wot not. For I am a strength betwixt two. Having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Look, when Paul looked forward, it was truly for him a, an internal battle. He desired to be with the Lord, but knew the necessity of his work as an apostle. Is that you or are you on cruise control? You think, I, I, I'm good. I've already got my place in heaven as though your name in the Lamb's book of life can't be blotted out. Hmm. Hebrews 3.14 says, we are made partakers of Christ if, conditional word here, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Where's the steadfastness of your faith in Christ? We're going to get to in our study in 1 Peter 1, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The end is salvation. It's not the now. It is to come. Are you diligently seeking that? Are you holding and fighting for it? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, wherein two of thou are called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. Are you fighting and are you holding on? Or are you more concerned about the things of the world that are temporal? Are you more focused and highlighted on things? You know, those people that might say something like, well, you know what? I'm going to get to my spirituality later. Right now, I'm, I'm getting my college degree. Right now, I'm working on, you know, getting a higher place at work. Or right now, I'm working on this or that or this. What if Jesus comes today? Oh, you're going to be caught with your proverbial pants around your ankles. You're just an exposed rear end at that point in time. Folks, what's happened? Is it the culture of our current world that gets complacency, indifference to be a state of continual being? If it's so, shake off the influence of this world. And understand that the reward is to the diligent seeker, not to the cruise controller. Think about who the Lord is good to. Even in the Old Testament, 
you know, the uh, tribe of Judah and Benjamin are in captivity. There's lamentation. So that's the book I'm talking about, Lamentation 3.25. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, the soul that seeketh him. Oh, folks, come on. If they got it, we should even more. I want to give you a couple passages before we wrap up. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Marvel not at this. The hour is coming, in the which all in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good in the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That is the simplicity of it. Are you diligently seeking him? Are you ready? Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Or are you living as though you already have your ticket punched? You're not in heaven yet. Wake up. Wake up before it's eternally too late. Don't be complacent. Don't be a cruise controller. Get it going. Get it going, folks. Jesus will return. And eternity is in the balance. Where will you be? Examine your fruit. Don't just say, I know this. What are you doing with that information? If we were in the days of Noah, are you building the ark? Now the ark is already built. It's the church, Ephesians 5.23. What's your efforts therein? What's your individual efforts outside of the work of the church? What does the fruit say? Oh, man, I study my Bible. Okay, that makes you a hearer, not a doer. James 1, 21 through 25. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? What's your life say? When our Lord looks at your works, what's he see? Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you got a lot to think about. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're sitting back and you're saying, if Jesus came today, oh my, I'm not ready. I would love to offer my help to you in any way that I can. You can call me. My phone number is 915-525-5794. I'd be willing to study with you over the phone, over Skype. If you're anywhere near me out here in the desert southwest of El Paso, Texas, I'd be willing to meet with you in person. If it's something you can resolve, resolve it. If you need help, ask for it. Do the right things. Get on board. Be a diligently seeker. I thank you for listening. I hope you'll tune back in on Sunday where if all goes according to the plan and the world continues, we will be looking at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, I say goodbye unto you. We'll see you later.